Okay, welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to another installment of Workplace Therapy. My name is Scott Arietta. I'm the CEO and founder of Unity & Company. It's a consulting firm that leverages a strategic understanding of human experiences to help organizations unlock best-in-class business performance. I'm joined by my co-host, Skylar Lewandowski. She's our Director of Special Programs at Unity & Company, and it is my absolute pleasure to introduce you uh, to a colleague of mine, Blake Kassmeyer. He is a professional storyteller and one of the finest ones that I've ever encountered at that craft. He uses his powers only for good and occasionally to bring people to uh, tears because his stories and perspectives are just so goddamn beautiful. Uh, professionally, he wields his powers as a copywriter, creative director, and content creator, uh, where he has done work for vertical defining brands. And he's got a rapidly growing TikTok following uh, that regularly just cripples me and brings me to tears where he reflects about life and grief and fatherhood. And so Blake, I am, I'm just so glad to have you on the show so that I can share the awesomeness that is you uh, with everybody in our community. Scott, that was a humbling intro, bro. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm just trying to pay you back for all of Uh, the tear-filled nights that you have (laughs) uh, bestowed upon me with your stories about fatherhood. Um, They really hit me right in the feels, man. Uh, Man, so thank you so much for listening. Like, um, yeah, I put it out there for, um, for, for that exact reason, hoping that it connects with someone. So I'm, I'm so honored that it does. Scott, Blake, and I all worked at Tile together. And Blake, when you came in, I was like, oh my gosh, he's super cool. He has like all this like fashion stuff and health stuff and fitness. Um, and I feel like you've just done like so many different career pivots and tried out new things, which I am like super impressed by because I, I have so many interests and I think the listeners do too. But could you tell us just a little bit about your career journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, uh, I was a terrible student in high school. Um, and so when I graduated, it seemed like going to school was, I mean, just, just on paper, the worst idea for me, um, given everything that I, I had just experienced for the previous 12, 13 years. So I, I decided to go be, um, pursue my dream of being a rock star. Um, and so I was in an independent, um, hardcore, uh, band for the better part of five years touring America. Um, playing, um, you know, basements and lesion halls, uh, all across, all across the States. Um, and when that kind of dried up, I then decided that it was time for me to, to go to college. Um, a decision that was like super, uh, it was really hard, but it was also like, I, I, I got to take some kind of ownership of my collegiate experience. Right. Um, I went to a community college for two years, transferred to Berkeley. Um, because I was paying for these classes, I, like out of my own pocket, I had a, I had a totally different perspective about like the the value of each class. And this isn't saying that like somebody fresh out of high school doesn't have that same value or doesn't get the same experience, but I think it did give me a particularly good experience. Um, I had a spreadsheet where I broke down how much each hour of each class cost me, and I would wake up in, in that moment of being like, hey. Do you want to not go to this class today or do you want to go to this class today? And I would say, well, that's $75 on the table right now. 
that you're going to have to pay somewhere down the line when the student loans kick in. Um, and, uh, and you get out of bed and you go to class. Um, I was also blessed to have a little bit of an ex of a perspective when I was in college and a bit of an agenda because I was older. I knew that I loved fitness and I knew that I loved writing. And so I wrote my thesis on a very specific niche of fitness stuff. Um, I wrote it about a, um, a small but emerging, uh, fitness trend that you may have heard of called CrossFit, <laughs> which just happened to uh, ascend um, into the zeitgeist like shortly after I graduated college. And I was able to literally leverage my thesis to land a job as a copywriter at TRX, at a fitness company. Um, and so I was a copywriter at, the, at TRX. Um, I then moved to Tile, where I, I worked with you all. Um, working in-house like that, I, I has its benefits and its its drawbacks. And I, when I left Tile, I decided that I was going to to do my own thing. Um, and and my own thing uh, was first to start an agency that kind of focused a little bit more on the corporate social responsibility side of trying to to bring the like brands that do good in the world and also make good products and tell those stories. Um, it was an ambitious idea. It didn't. It didn't go to plan. Um, but we had some. We had an amazing ride in the process. And, and additionally to that, I've always been consulting as a copywriter and, and um, a creative director. And so now I am a freelance copywriter, creative director um, for a, a handful of agencies and small brands. Um, and I work from my house, and I kind of work from my own terms. That's great. It is totally a very just like diverse and interesting uh, career path. So a couple of things to just touch on what you just shared with us. First of all, I think your spreadsheet approach to the utility versus cost of the classes that you're attending is something that should just be adopted in organizations when determining which meetings to attend. Right. Like I think if we had a cost value analysis with the south, like the uh, amortized salaries of like everybody in a meeting, we would totally think about the utility of meetings in a completely different way. Um, so you're ahead of your time, man. I also love how just freaking quant nerdy it is that you had a spreadsheet, but like you're also balancing that against like the creative parts of yourself that are just like so prevalent and prominent in everything that you do. You always find a way to kind of like marry that artistic expression with a command of business operations and business principles. And I think that's why you've been so valued, you know, right now as a freelancer, but also like when you were you know, working in house. That was my experience of you anyway. Um, another part of my experience of you was just like, I, you're just so freaking cool. Like Skylar's right. Like you had this like, you know, innate sense of fashion right now on your TikTok channel, your dad fit checks or like, you know, like how I learn about like color theory and like, you know, what's in style these days ever since I quit Stitch Fix. Um, I've been woefully out of touch with what is cool. Um, so thank you for just being my education and inspiration <laughs> and like so many uh, facets of my life. I, um, I am, yeah, I'm holding on by my fingernails. It moves so fast. So I just, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that the, the greatest style and the greatest slang is uh, timeless. And so mm. um, 
those are kind of my, that's my, my guiding principle when it comes to fashion. What's your fit check right now? What oh, are you wearing? Thank you. Um, so I am, I'm currently, I'm, I'm wearing my work from home joggers, <laughs> like my <laughs> uniform and, uh, this shirt, um, a little worn out right now, but this is, uh, guardian is a 501 C3 nonprofit, um, that provides free jujitsu, um, tutoring and, uh, healthy meals to, uh, kids who would not otherwise be able to afford them. And, um, I just like to be able to represent them whenever, whenever I can. Um, so when I have an opportunity like this with professionals such as yourselves, uh, I like to show people this shirt in hopes that they might Google guardian and, uh, and find out more about them. Well, they absolutely should Google guardian, um, <laughs> and find out more. That's great. Um, so Blake, one of the things I wanted to, well, first of all, congratulate you on is, um, the arrival of baby number two. Um, it seems like not so long ago, baby number one came along and I remember I hadn't talked to you in a couple of years and I remember reaching out to you just cause I was so excited about you becoming a dad. I just like knew that you as a dad, um, that you would be like nurturing and that you'd have all these stories and that you'd invest so much in, um, in, in your son. And like, that was definitely my experience when I found out that, you know, my wife was pregnant with our son was it really cast everything into really sharp relief for me. And I had so many hopes and dreams of, you know, what to share and teach to him. And, um, your series on TikTok, uh, the, this week in fatherhood, that's the, that's the one piece of content that you make that consistently just kind of, hits me right in the feels. So, um, but anyway, so recently, um, you welcomed your second child into the world and I'd, I'd love to just get an update from you on like, how is fatherhood going? How is it that you're balancing the pressures of like entrepreneurship and your role as a provider for your family with the role of being a father, all of which I know are really, really important to you personally and can be tough to kind of keep all those balls in the air. Uh, Scott, you, uh, man, you set up a question, buddy. Um, I am almost <laughs> in tears with those compliments. I'm glad you had that confidence in me because I did not have that confidence <laughs> in myself heading into this. <laughs> but, um, and I think that is to say, I asked, a, I asked a friend, um, who I respect a lot right when I, you know, Becca was almost due and I'm like, all right, he's a writer, super talented guy. I'm like, we're, we're on a bike ride together. And I turn to him and I say, you know, all right, man. Here, here's your opportunity. These are the, this is the gem of wisdom that I need to, uh, it's going to, you know, spring forth into how I'm going to be a father. What do I need to know? And all he said is lower your expectations. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually really good advice. And it really is good such advice. good advice though. Um, and it was, you know, at the time I was like expecting something more and that, that nugget has been pretty, pretty clutch. So, you know, um, the best analogy I can make for all of this is that like parenthood very much feels like, and I think this is why I like it so much is it very much feels like you are in an independent touring hardcore band going across the country where time doesn't exist. You're driving through the night. Uh, you eat, you know, you, you kind of try and grab onto a schedule as best you can. Um, and you find these little windows to do your basic necessities of like, showering and uh eating and uh doing your actual job the thing that you're supposed to do uh kids 
are an incredible force function for decision making. They are the, the and, and little ones are the best. Little ones, uh, the newborn, they do four things. They sleep, they eat, they go to the bathroom, and they burp. That's it. And anything that's going on in their life is some combination of those four things. And it is so urgent when it needs to happen. <laughs> so when they need to sleep, man, they let you know. When they're hungry, man, they let you know. And so everything else in your life becomes very simple. I just have to answer one of these four things. And as a, as a young parent, that's, that's awesome. Um, as, the, as the child gets older, it becomes more complex. And luckily, you're growing with your child as well and managing all of these complexities. And in a way, you know, the kids raise you just as much as, as you raise the kids and you, you learn to manage all of these different roles and responsibilities. You know, I, I think, I think kids are actually incredible time management tools. <laughs> I think people get overwhelmed by how, I guess, I guess it comes back to that idea of lowering your expectations. So, my expectation for myself is just to meet the needs of my kid for that day and probably one other thing. And if I can get those things done, everything else is, is a benefit, you know, as uh, is on top of that. And so that's, I mean, that's more or less the kids turn me into a time manager, I guess, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. I mean, it resonates a lot with me. And, you know, I think what's actually happening behind the scenes is you get a lot more crisp on your prioritization, right? It's like you get a lot more clear on like what actually fucking matters and what is just smokescreen, right? And like before you become a parent, it's like there are things that you'll just like obsess about like all day long that are not like life and death, right? Like don't have, you know, such like uh, impactful forward-looking implications as the decisions that you have as a parent. And so like, I know that that was not to say that I was like less stressed, right? But like, I do think that like, you know, with something like that important in your life, it really kind of, for me, it was the first time where I was able to get some distance and perspective from everything else I was tasked with. Um, and it was just like really interesting to see how everything else like clicked into place. Um, and then just selfishly bringing this back to the topic of this, uh, this podcast, which is workplace therapy. I do think that there is an inflection point that happens when workplace professionals actually have kids. Right. And I'm not, I don't want to denigrate people who don't have the, the privilege and like overwhelming responsibility of having kids. Cause I think like you can definitely develop these traits in other ways, but I definitely think that people who become parents while also trying to grow their careers are constantly faced with this, you know, tyranny of like urgent responsibilities that they have to address every day. And it, like you said, it's a forcing function to kind of figure out, how to survive optimally, like in a workplace environment, or at least that was my experience. How did that, how'd that work for you? Cause like, were you already, you had already gone independent at yeah. that point, right? So it was, was like even more pressure because you I don't have like the steady paycheck. Totally. I was floating in the ether. It was a weird, really weird time. Um, mm -hmm. 
but back to that, Scott, like, I think that you're, you know, I think that there, becoming a parent made you realize that there's a secret society of parents that happens underneath the surface of work that you don't yeah. see as someone who doesn't have kids. And it's like, now I'm like thinking back, I'm like, oh, wait, these people in the, in, you know, in the kitchen talking about these things, this person coming in at this time and leaving at this time and having to schedule these things. And, oh yeah. And like, you kind of, you, you reverse engineer this whole life that other people were living that you didn't even realize they were living uh, mm -hmm. on top of the job that you had for mm -hmm. them. And maybe, I mean, it's just like this kind of like retroactive, like just like leveling empathy. <laughs> you know, like, oh my God, <laughs> I can't, yeah. oh, I cannot believe that. Um, so yeah, I, you know, if I think, again, I think your point is really great that you don't have to be a parent in order to adopt these traits to understand these things. But, um, and, and, and I, I don't wish parenthood on anyone who wouldn't want to have kids. Um, but it is just this incredible tool for empathy of your, of your colleagues and your coworkers. Um, when you think, oh, wow, that's what they're going home to tonight. Like, mm -hmm. or more importantly, that's what they're sacrificing to be here with you. Mm. And like, that. like yeah. that, that, that after work happy hour, that like that meeting that's scheduled at 5 p.m., 5.30, 6 p.m., any day of the week, that's work. You're, you're coordinating dinner and bath and that like little window of time that you have with your kids afterwards, you know, and it's it just makes you see the whole world in a different with a different matrix over it. Yeah. I will definitely yeah, look at parents and I, I have been trying to look at parents differently because I don't have kids, but thank you guys for sharing that perspective. And I think it is really important to, to connect with your coworkers on that level to really understand what they're going through. And because we all have something, right? If it's not kids, it's something else. And mm -hmm. I think it's great that if we could have more conversations, either, you know, at work or even on Zoom or on Slack and saying like, what what is your life about and how do you like connect at work and how do you connect out uh, like at life with, with other people. Um, and I know that there's been a lot of like talk around like this idea of quiet quitting. And maybe that's a little bit of like, Hey, I'm sacrificing a lot at home mm -hmm. and you know, companies aren't actually compensating me for that sacrifice. And I want to make my personal life a little bit more important to me right now. Um, which I think in, in some cases may be okay. Have you like, have you ever maybe like quiet quit a job or do you always kind of like approach a job? Like I'm going to go full in and connect deeply to my coworkers and, and the people around me. Yeah. So I mean, like as far as quiet quitting goes, an interesting term um because it's as i understand it it's saying that i am going to do my job and i'm not going to do anything else i'm going to do what is what is expected what is what was written in my job requirement what my agreement is with my manager and i'm not going to go above and beyond that and to some degree as a freelancer that's actually what I do. <laughs> to some degree, that's 
that's that's kind of the relationship I have with every single one of my clients. Now, I I do an ex- I really try and do an exceptional job of what I do, but it's they're billable hours, and mm-hmm. we are exchanging goods and services for capital. That's mm-hmm. the agreement, and that's fine. And, and I, I think you know there's an this perspective comes from seeing people really emotionally invest in a job, really give themselves to a place and just having, losing that job and losing a part of themselves in a whole community. And there's nothing wrong with connecting, you know, um, Skylar, I had worked at a company that had had basically annual Q1 layoffs because Q4 revenue fell short every year. And, uh, and so I got used to just, this is morbid, but just not naming the animals on the farm, you know, <laughs> uh, because they weren't going to be around come, come slaughter. And uh, I remember being in a, in a car with um, our colleague, uh, Zara, when she was a very young uh, employee, very young in her career, um, and she was on, on the care team. And she was so sweet. And she was talking to me and asking me these personal questions about myself, about like, my passions, and what my life was like outside of work and what my dreams were. And like, I was giving her like a 20% answer. I was, you know, really trying not to like, and I, I certainly wasn't asking her the questions back because in my head, I was like, sorry, you don't get it. Like, they don't care. <laughs> like when revenue falls short, the fastest way to balance the book is with human capital. <laughs> it's with our salaries. And you and I are probably redundancies. And therefore, like, we're not going to make friends on the Titanic, you know? And like, that's just a perspective that I had from being, it's it's a reality. And I think it's a reality that a lot of companies are coming to terms with now, especially like when I look at like the big companies, like, you know, Facebook, Google, I mean, I just had a really good friend get laid off from Disney on the marketing side. And these are companies that just have historically done so much in terms of, Mm. uh, just benefits like incredible paternity, incredible maternity. I mean, that paying for IVF, like massive things. And now they're like, oh, wow. What it comes down to is if it doesn't make dollars, then it doesn't make sense. And you're like, wait, wait a minute. What about all of these principles that your, your HR was, was built around? What about all of these principles that your culture was built around that people thought about you? And it's like, no, this is what it comes down to. And so like, I have massive empathy. For anybody who quite quits their job, massive empathy because mm-hmm. that's the that's the agreement. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what you told me I was supposed to do, and I've been that guy. You know, I've been that guy who's up at, until two a.m. QAing the email that's supposed to drive you know freaking fifty thousand dollars of revenue the next morning, right. and and piecing together HTML that I have no business doing because I'm like, oh, this has to get out. This has to get out. It's like all these things outside of my the scope of my job that I'm doing because I believe in the mission and I got laid off. <laughs> and I probably should have got laid off. You know, like it made sense at the time. So anyways, that's that's my position on that. Oh, I mean, there's so much there, Blake. I mean, because... It's, it's really tough. And like, I think we've talked about quiet quitting a little bit. We haven't done a deep dive um, on this podcast so far, but 
I have thoughts on both sides of the aisle, right? Like, like you, I think I have tremendous empathy for people for whom quiet quitting. First of all, I just, I fucking reject the term. I just, I don't think the term, I think the term is a misnomer. It puts like a pejorative connotation on something that to your point is merely just an enforcement of contractual norms, right? It's like you hired me to do a job and for a period of time, could be indefinitely, could be for a season in my life. I am just going to fulfill the terms of what you brought me on to do. And you promise me X salary in exchange for that. I will perform Y duties in exchange for that. It's a great arrangement, right? And like companies should be really satisfied with that. Now, you know, what I'd say is like, if your goals are to advance your career, right? And to seek promotions and new responsibilities and, you know, maybe even pivot into different disciplines, right? And learn a broader range of things, then I don't think necessarily that those goals are compatible with a kind of bare minimum mentality, right? Um, Which, but you have to decide for yourself what phase of life you are in. And what I would say is that like, you know, um, there are just times in your life where you're dealing with maybe an ailing loved one or a loved one that needs extra care, or you're dealing with kind of a gnarly emotional situation in your family, or you are getting adjusted to being a parent for the first time, right? For that season, scaling back your level of investment at work, not letting anybody down, not dropping any balls, like not doing a bad job, but not consistently going above and beyond and working, you know, dozens of extra hours a week and all that stuff. I think that's perfectly fine. And I think like where organizations get it wrong is to your point, like they don't have that empathy. Like they don't see that the people, the human capital, right? The human investments that they have made are actually humans. They forget about that piece of the equation, right? And they make this assumption that they are kind of like the end all be all like of your world. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my two cents on the matter, but, um, but uh, yeah, I, I also have tremendous empathy. I think for people who find themselves in the situation where, quiet quitting so-called is actually like the optimal solution for the situation that they're in. And I think we should all be a lot more empathetic of people who need to kind of cash in that chip. Um, But there's also this emotional piece, you know, in your story, which is, you know, for those people who do, you know, with the best of intentions, just pour so much of themselves into the service of an organization and its goals. Like that's encouraged, that's celebrated, but is it rewarded? Not all the time. Sometimes it's rewarded with a pink slip and a severance package, you know? And I bring this up because I know that you're actually like fairly open about sharing this, but like, (laughs) this is another one of the stories that you tell where I was just like misty eyed the first time that I heard it. Um, just cause it was just so gnarly, you know, about, um, about the way that your time at Tile um, kind of came to an, an end. And so I know it's sensitive, but would you mind kind of talking people through it? Because I think it'll be informative and helpful for them. Oh, of course. Um, 
to back up a little bit, like I was employee number 40 at Tile, four zero. Um, and I was brought onto the organization when it was rapidly growing. And I was um, like a ruthless generalist. So uh, you hire people who are broad and not very deep in their skill set. I can do a ton of stuff. And it's so exciting and fun. Um, and you're doing a ton of stuff and you're adding so much value to the organization. Um, as the company grew, my scope of responsibility was really kind of vague, right? I wasn't quite sure what I did. I mean, there, there was things I did that people, that is definitely what Blake does. Um, but a lot of it was, I think we talked about before, where like, I was busy, but I don't know that I was valuable. So I was, I was doing a lot of work, but I don't know that that work was really like, does, does Blake need to be the guy that does this? Anyways, all this to say, um, just some context. So it's, it's uh, January 18th. I know the day because it's uh, my then fiance, now wife's birthday. Um, I am on a plane flying home um, from Los Angeles where I just had to say goodbye to my mother who uh, had lost a brief but brutal fight with lung cancer. And um, worst, worst day of my life. And as the plane is landing, uh, my phone blows up with notifications from my colleagues, not necessarily sending condolences, letting me know that there has just been a mass layoff at, at Tile where we were working. And um, of course, the top of those notifications was our, the former CMO of the company. And he's like, Blake, you got to call me as soon as possible. And so as soon as I got home, um, you know, he let me know that that was my last day of, of working at Tile and that um, I was from there on out unemployed. And so, you know, the, the author, Sebastian Younger, says uh, that in order for humans to feel content, they need three basic things. They need to feel um, competent in what they do. They need to feel authentic in their lives. And they need to feel a connection with others. And in those four days, I had just lost all of that. Now, <laughs> I had, I had, in the early days, you know, I would say I put a lot of myself into that job. I, I would, I would say that, like, you know, in the later days, like, I may have been, like I said, I feel like I was busy, but I don't know that I was valuable. And I, I because it is a hard time in my life, that doesn't mean it's the wrong decision that manager had to make. When it came down to the company had a massive revenue shortfall, there are redundancies in our staff, some people have to go. A lot of people have to go. A third of the company had to go. And in that context, what it gave me was, I we keep coming back to empathy, but like, my God, was that the hardest phone call that, that man ever had to make in his life? He's, he's not a bad person. He's a good person. And he's in every other, you know, facet has been kind to me and nice to me. Maybe not, maybe didn't um, provide me with the, the best environment at work to grow and to really own a role and to all of these pieces. But he didn't know that we were going to fall short. In fact, he was betting on the fact that we were going to knock it out of the park. And there's another version of this story where he and I are both tremendously successful, you know. And I just, I, I felt so bad for him have to make that phone call because in a lot of ways like that was the best time for me to get laid off I, I you know i would have been showing up to a job 
as half of a person. I wouldn't have taken the leave because of this fear of being perceived as somebody who like is quiet quitting, right? Or this fear of being perceived as somebody who doesn't really show up. I would have taken this as an opportunity probably to show how committed I was to my job and really not have the space that I needed to properly mourn the death of, of my mom. And so, yeah, so that's, that's kind of the story about how that happened. Um, and I just think it's, in my opinion, it's a really important story when I, that's the story that I want to tell young Zara as I'm sitting in the car with her, right? Like, I, I love how emotionally invested you're getting in this place and your colleagues, but look, they will lay you off four days after your mom dies because that's what they have to do. So keep that in the back of your mind when you're investing yourself emotionally in this place. Man, even hearing that story now, it's probably the third or fourth time I've heard it. Um, it still like hits me square in the feels. Like, I mean, I have tremendous empathy for you and like what you went through um, in that period of your life. Like that just must have felt like a series of hits that just kind of kept coming. And what I love about you and admire about you so much is how you redeemed those enormously shitty experience to pay it experiences to pay it forward and help and edify others. Right. And I think that's why your TikTok channel is finding an audience, right? I'm so happy that you found that audience because you have so much just wisdom and perspective to share. Um, that's just like so core to like universal experiences that we all have as humans. Um, so I'll say that, but I want to push you a little bit because, you know, I do think that, you know, you having empathy for, um, for your boss, even in the face of him delivering this news to you in a really tender and vulnerable moment in your life. Right. I mean, that says a lot about you as a person, um, which I think is great. And then you also having this perspective of like, Hey, no hard feelings, you know, balance, you know, your engagement appropriately based off of the fact that this is a fairly transactional relationship. I think that's a pragmatic piece of advice to give to young Zara. Um, I don't necessarily think that it's wrong, but what really kind of has got me thinking a little bit is the way that you described why you think it would have been the best point in your life to get laid off, right? Because of the fact that, you know, you wouldn't have taken leave, you know, that you would have like tried to soldier on and put on a brave face, but you wouldn't have been in a position to like do your best work given those circumstances. And that's where like, there's a part of me that is like struggling to accept that that is your perspective <laughs> because like, you know, as, as a leader myself, like you were never in my organization. Right. And, um, and it, it's tough because like, if you were, I don't know how I would have delivered the message to you. Like, so like, I, I agree with that. Like that would have been a terrible conversation to have, but this dynamic of like not feeling like you can take the leave to grieve your mom's passing like that in and of itself is just antithetical to the ideal of like psychological safety, 
right? Like, I mean, and this might be me dying on the hill of my idealism, right? But if you have a work environment where your people feel like they have to put up a facade and they cannot use benefits that they are entitled to or screw it. Like, even if they don't have a generous bereavement policy, if you don't have a leader who can like empathize with you that this is huge and give you the space that you need in order to heal like as a human being, that to me is table stakes, right? And I recognize that the vast majority of organizations, especially in our capitalist society, do not adhere to that standard, right? So what I'm defining as table stakes, the vast majority of organizations do not do. But for me, it's like the sense of rightness, right? Like, I mean, if I were in your position, I would be like, man, that really sucks that I didn't feel safe enough. Like I get and accept that I didn't feel safe enough. Like I get that that is probably normative in terms of most people's experiences, but it just feels wrong. Right. And, um, and so like, I, I don't know that I have a question for you. I just, I guess I'm just like pushing my ideals on you because I'm like, that just sounds icky. Candidly. Like, I mean, it's the, I, I actually think that if I, if, if I had stuck around, if I hadn't gotten laid off, managers would have, provided me that space. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the managers who were left there, I mean, everybody, uh, nobody there is, a, like I said, is a bad person. I think that there may have been some early startup mentality uh, trends or culture that lasted a little bit too long as the company grew. Um, but mm -hmm. I mean, unlimited PTO, right? What's the problem with unlimited PTO? Yeah, people don't take it. Nobody takes it, right? And that's because it's looked down upon or you feel guilty or it, it just never ends up working out to the benefit of the employee. And I don't doubt that I would have been able to take time. I think that the way I felt, it would have felt... Like I needed to show up, particularly after a mass layoff like that, to be like, hey, I still have my job. I should be, be showing up. But yeah, I mean, that's those are great points, Scott. I think that, mm. yeah. yeah. Can I ask you a little bit more actionable or a question that'll be easier to um, respond to, which is, was there anything that could have been done? So let's say that the economic reality is we got to cut 30%. Right. And let's say that based off of cost value analysis of certain roles, not people, your role is logical to have put on the chopping block, which I'm assuming that like the truth was similar to that. Like you said, my assessment is also that nobody there was malicious or malintended, right? I, I think this was a really hard thing um, for Tile to have executed, especially considering how close we had all become working through the startup phase and then, you know, into later maturity. Right. But let's just say that like the reasons are valid. The decision is valid, right? There's, there was no alternative way around it and the message has to be delivered and the timing has to be during this really shitty chapter of your life. Was there anything that could have been done that wasn't done to 
I guess, optimize that experience for you? <laughs> or is it better just to have it be like a really kind of like emotionless transactional kind of like call that you have to like deal with on your own? I mean, I think that like you could write a ballet about the logistics of a mass layoff. Like it is, it is a delicate love song. Like it is, a, it's so bizarre. You have to, you have to discreetly schedule meetings on all of these people's calendars. You have to get them all into a room to hand a laptop and, and sort of give them enough heads up so that they clear all the personal information that they have stored on that laptop because that's what you do when you work someplace, even though you're not supposed to, and to manage panic and manage uh, how everyone perceives you. And so, and then you have this outlier dude who's having the worst fucking day of his life. And you're like, I have to, I have to talk to him before anybody talks to him. Like otherwise, you know, and like, I, so full disclosure, like I, I had, I texted somebody else in the organization who knew. And I just said to her, uh, she's an awesome woman. And I was like, Hey, this is going on. How are things looking for me? And she's like, not good. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can laugh about it now, but I was like, Oh shit. Really? Okay. Wow. I was, I was more astonished that like <laughs> this could actually happen in these circumstances. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. You know, he could have bought me a coffee, uh, I guess, <laughs> instead of giving me a phone call, but I understand the position that he's in. Uh, and that like, he's managing, managing panic. And I really, I, the thing I do appreciate from him is his, his ability to, to be the guy to give me the call to, to his, uh, push him to push the agenda. Right. I could have, I could have tried to put it off or he could have had somebody else try and contact me that I reported to underneath him, just within the organization, kind of whatever it is, like he could have, but instead he like had that call with me and like to, to his, to his, um, justice in his defense. I mean, afterwards he followed up and, and tried to, I think everybody there was trying to connect people to other people in their network to help them lily pad to the next thing. Um, and so, you know, I, I, Scott, I'm sure there's something he could have done, but it is, it is such a, it, I'm sure you've, you've seen these in your career. I've seen these in my career more times than I would like proud to admit says something about the organizations that I work for maybe, but it's just, it's so, it's such a weird ballet, the mass layoff. It's so, it's such a weird feeling of emotions. It's a huge grief that you feel if, when you're the person still there, the survivor's guilt. Oh my gosh. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I was more asking because like, to be honest with you, Blake, I don't have answers. Like I've, I've been the guy who has had to lay off people before. And, you know, when you're on that side of the table, it's like you almost don't want to know like all the details that are going on in your life. Cause it's like hard enough anyway. Right. And like, like, so I, I appreciate like your candor, right. Because I think that your situation is this like huge outlier situation, you know? And I think that, you as a person were resilient enough, although it probably didn't feel like it at the time to handle that combination of events 
And I think like you emerge stronger because of it, you know, but I wonder how often organizations have similar scenarios where the recipient isn't as well equipped to handle it. Right. And that becomes a defining kind of negative milestone in that person's life. Right. And not to say that it's all the organization's fault and, you know, there's an imperative for them to do something differently, but it's like, I think it comes down to the empathy piece. Right. And, you know, really making sure that you are as empathetic as possible. Like when you're delivering news like that, being aware that there's a universe of things that you don't know about what people are struggling with. Um, in addition to the news that you're, (laughs) that you're giving them. So. Yeah. And, and not to dwell on this too much, but you know, like in, in with that, that idea of empathy is like, you have to consider the trauma of the manager, right? Like, Mm. (laughs) well, we're talking about like the emotional investment that like maybe junior employees make in an organization and the sacrifices Mm -hmm. they make in their personal lives. Um, that maybe they shouldn't make like there is, I mean, I know that that person is making a much bigger salary, right? Another person's probably driving a nicer car, but man, that's hard. Like imagine going home that night. Like, Oh my God. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Brutal. And Blake, I feel like your perspective is really unique on being laid off and then going through an even harder time because I think I I see a lot of the layoff posts or have talked to my friends that have been laid off and they, you know, it, it's just like, Oh, this is the worst thing that could happen to me. But you like, it it was the worst probably thing that could, but then you actually turned it into one of the best things because as you said, you, you like started to start your own business at that point and you learned a ton about yourself. And I know that you, you created your own podcast on like grieving your mother, which I think like, is so amazing and like has helped so many people and probably helped you through that grieving process. Because as we know, like grief doesn't just like happen and then go away. <laughs> like it, it's going to be kind of there with you forever. And you've helped a lot of people go through those grieving processes. And even like I've, I've seen on your TikTok, um, I, I lost a parent when I was really young. And just like the way that you talk about your mom in the TikToks kind of just like brings her back to life. And it like, it makes me happy. Like when I hear your, about your mom, it always makes me smile. Cause I'm like, Oh, she's like here with him. And like, I, I kind of get to know her as well through those. Um, but I guess like how did you always think that you were going to like do a podcast and TikToks with your mom in it? Or like, how did that kind of come to be? Yeah, Skylar, uh, first of all, I'm sorry for your loss. Um, losing your parent is brutal. And, um, and I'm sorry that you went through that and that you continue to go through that. And I think it's awesome that you feel comfortable sharing that with you today. Um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, okay, so we tell, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. Like storytelling is the base, right? And um, it is how, it's how we have passed on knowledge and evolved and how we built societies, how we built cultures and how we resolve conflicts and how um, we relate to each other emotionally. Like storytelling is like, as who we are as, as human beings. And so when, when tragedy happens to you or when a terrible things happen to you, like that's, that is, that's a part of your story. Uh, it's a really important part of your story. Um, and you know, the, I think that, I think it might be a, a roomy quote is that um, the wound is where the light gets in, 
<laughs> and uh, I feel that way with these bad things that happen to you, right? Like the, this, this rough thing that happened. And other people have those wounds as well. And when you are able to, to be vulnerable and to, to show them where the light went into you, they, they are able to experience the light as well. I'm not a religious person speaking purely metaphorically about what light represents in this context. But yeah, so like, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know I was going to start a podcast or I was going to connect with people. Like I knew that I had to tell this story. I knew I had these stories in me and that I'm a storyteller. And as I, as I sit down to do it, I'm like, well, okay, I think this is the format that's going to work. This is the amount of stuff that I'm doing. This is the amount of whatever. And then as I move to a different platform, I, I, I'm giving you what I'm thinking. I'm giving you what my day looks like. I'm giving you what I actually happened today. And that is like, that is the difference, right? Between, in my opinion, between somebody who is trying to be an influencer and somebody who is like a storyteller. Mm. And that like, I'm not, I'm not telling you this story because I think it will get you to like this video. I'm telling you the story because this is the story that I'm thinking about today. This is what my life mm. is kind of like. And the, the, the beautiful thing that happens is those are the stories that people actually give a fuck about. Yeah. Right? Like they yeah. people are amazing at sniffing out in inauthentic <laughs> things that are inauthentic. Here we go. Yeah. And um and so yeah, so what I give you is what I'm going through. Um if I have a week where I post stories about my mom, like that's kind of what I'm thinking about. And like, yeah, I, I also think that the response that I get, like I, I finished the last episode of that podcast in I think January of 2019. I get emails every week from somebody who is like, I'm going through it and this thing helped me, right? Uh, like, I can't stop. <laughs> I owe it to that person or I owe it to whomever it is that's going to have this happen to them down the line because this is the thing that I wish I would have had when I was there. So. I don't know if that answers the question, but that's kind of like how I have manifested or like how I've decided what stories and how I'm going to tell them and like the format and stuff. You know, I actually back up a minute, like Scott deserves like huge praise because uh, in I think 2017, when I'm working with Scott, Scott's getting into blogging. We're both watching a lot of Casey Neistat videos. So when Casey Neistat was daily blogging and Scott challenged me. He's like, man, you're living a life that I would like to watch. <laughs> and I was like, really? He's like, yeah, just, just vlog, vlog a weekend. Just do it. And like, you've got a GoPro, you've got a phone, just go vlog a weekend. And I did it and it felt so good. <laughs> it felt so good. It tanked. It didn't do very well. But man, it felt good to do. And Scott kept encouraging me and kept encouraging me. And if, if Scott hadn't have been there, I, it is arguable that I would not have the platform that I have now, or the platforms that I have now, because uh, I wouldn't have had the, I wouldn't have been brave enough, or I wouldn't have had the courage to really be like, oh, I'm going to sit down and do this. Like Scott gave me a deadline pretty much. Like I left on a Friday and I said, all right, I'm making a vlog this weekend. I was like, shit, I have to make the vlog this weekend. Sorry, Blake. This is the manager in me. <laughs> just trying to adopt you into my organization. Yeah. 
But again, so like, this is weird, right? Because I just talked about not being emotionally connected to the place where you work, right? I, this is, this is a clear breach of that ethos. When I'm emotionally connected to a a commitment that I made to Scott, uh, who happens to be my coworker. So. I probably forced myself on you, Blake. Um, cause like from the second I met you, I was like, oh, you're in a, you're in a post hardcore band. I was in a screamo band. Like I dropped out of college twice to go do that. And like, you know, I was just like enamored with like the stuff that you were doing in life. Um, so, and then like, you know, when we both got into like, you know, vlogging and, you know, telling our stories through literally different lenses it was just really great to have somebody like on that trail and on that journey you know with me so i appreciate the gratitude that you're thrown at me but um it goes both ways my friend like i think that's really important that you shared that like that there is still an emotional connection to the people that you make at work and even if you try not to make one or if you, if you know that there's layoffs going to be happening, like if you want, I don't know, a fulfilled life, you're going to have to have those emotional connections to your coworkers. And like, I, I know like Zara is actually my best friend. And so it's like, if I hadn't done those emotional connections with her, if she probably hadn't asked me a million questions as she probably asked you, like that wouldn't have happened in my life. And I'm so grateful for that. And like, if, if Scott hadn't had like challenged you and made that emotional connection with you, you maybe like these TikToks would be different. Maybe they would still be there, but they would be different. So I think it's like, even if we know that there's going to be a lot of pain that comes from it, it's still worth like building that connection with other people. I mean, yeah, right. Like it's, it is a, a, a many and varied like problem or not problem situation. And I think that if you are going to be spending, especially like the, the workplace is dramatically different now than it was then. But if you were going to be spending that much time in a physical space with your coworkers, fuck, you better like them. You know, <laughs> you better find somebody that you like. <laughs> Cause like that's, that's such a huge portion of your life. Right. Even if you're, even if you're just doing the bare minimum, they're like, you know, like you gotta have some, somebody to connect to. Um, so yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's really important and, and it's like different, right? Like the intrapersonal connection versus the emotional investment in the organization maybe is the, is the difference, mm. right? Like being like, cool. Like I like you as a person. That's great. Um, and not like I'm giving myself to this organization. I mean, I, I, it's hard. I think that there are brands in the world that do genuinely good stuff. And I understand that like, in order for those brands to come from like here to here, there's a Herculean, like above human effort that needs to happen often or magic, you know, or, you know, like you look at like a, I mean, something crazy has to happen. And that, that thing that has to happen is so often just uh, hustle and human labor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for that, you, I mean, it kind of, somebody's got to do it, you know? Um, but it does have, I guess, I guess it's just being aware of the damage that is, that's possible mm-hmm. and, and trying to protect yourself as best you can. Mm-hmm. You know, it's different. It's different when you have like the CEO of that company who this is his dream. And like he did this thing because he, I mean, he believed that he was really helping people and he was really helping people. 
And and he was making a it's a good argument. He's making the world a better place. And so for him <laughs> to like lose sleep and to like not shower and to let his hair go crazy and to miss workouts and to not spend time with family, like it's a worthy cause, right? But for the guy who's like three, four tiers down from him in the org chart, you know, is it is that guy you make a sacrifice? I don't know. <laughs> um I want to rewind a little bit because I've been thinking about it since you said it. I don't know that I had drawn a distinction between the difference between influencer and like online storyteller. But as you spoke, I think that like one of the things I realized is, and maybe this is just my algorithmic version of YouTube versus TikTok, right? But when you and I were like vlogging together, like YouTube was our preferred platform. And in a lot of ways, I think like YouTube is fine tuned for influencers. And the way that I'm defining influencing now after having heard you talk is like influencers, it's, you know, the job is in the title. Like they're there to influence you to take certain actions or to change certain things or to buy certain products, right? And so even though their content might have this veneer of sharing genuinely and authentically of themselves. It's really kind of perfunctory, right? Like they're actually trying to do a thing, right? Or get you to do a thing. And this distinction with you as a storyteller, my experience of your content is that it has always been you sharing of yourself with no agenda, right? And no expectation. You're like, this is me. I've been through some things. I've learned some things. I have tremendous empathy for people who are in the neighborhood of the things that I've experienced. And to the extent that it's helpful, here I am, right? And that costs you something. It probably also brings you something, but it requires a level of vulnerability and introspection and a, a willingness to open yourself up to criticism. And like, there's lots of that on the internet. Right. Um, but you do it anyway. And it feels like this act of just service and generosity. Like I'm not manipulating you or gaslighting you or trying to get you to click on my affiliate links. Not, not that there's anything wrong with monetizing your platform. <laughs> like you absolutely should sustain the work that you're doing as you continue to grow. But I think like what monetization will never do to you is change like who you are, because I think that's just so hardwired into kind of like your ethos as a storyteller first, right? Um, and content creation is a modality that you use to get your stories out there. Uh, that's, that is, again, Scott, uh, you're, you're going to be the, <laughs> we're talking about chat GPT writing, um, writing obituaries before this. Uh, you are hired, my man. We are not having ChatGPT write my obituaries, Scott. <laughs> that is the highest honor. The, having job security in the post-ChatGPT age is like, great. Um, no, that, that, is, that is such a generous observation. And um, I, I hope that I, I hold up to like 10% of what you just said. Um, I think that I couldn't do the first thing. I just couldn't. I wouldn't be good. Like, that's not what I do, right? Like, that's a, that's a type of person who is, um, it's just different. And, and that's, and it's fine. It's not a point of judgment, you know, and I think you're right. Like, monetize your content to the extent that, like, it can support itself. Um, but, you know, if I were to do that, and there are people who do stuff that's very similar to what I do that 
do that. Um, and I wrote a, a lengthy sort of uh, post about this on um, on LinkedIn recently. But yeah, I mean, like I was I was recently sort of like copycatted or, or ripped off. An idea of mine was taken on by an account that's much larger than mine um, and just kind of stole a um, piece of content like bit, like beat for beat. And um, it, the interesting thing is that that his, the, when he did it, it did really well because it's so dramatically different than everything else he does. He was emotionally vulnerable or at least attempting to be to, to show emotional vulnerability. And uh, he got, you know, this series that I do has, has amassed millions of views. The one video he did got like half a million views. And the thing is, uh, the piece that I'm talking about is a, a weekly reflection on being a father. Two days later, he created another weekly reflection of being a father. Right. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. That doesn't feel right. <laughs> like, ah, that feels like you hit a button and you got a response. And so you wanted to go hit that button again. This is, if you've ever uh, read this, the study Rat Park about addiction um, and, and the way rats <laughs> behave when they're, mm -hmm. anyways, this is like Rat Park behavior. And, 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 mm -hmm. to, and to be fair, like, the algorithm is completely manipulating him. His income is completely based off of the number of views that he gets. This is his job. And he's like, this thing works. Let's do this thing. And the second video that he put out had a fraction of the views the first video did. Hmm. And it's because you can't hit that button over and over and over again because that button is a real thing. Mm -hmm. It is not like, hey, I'm going to do a cool dance, right? Although you know, there are... They're dances that are pure expressions of emotions, et cetera. Like, but like, this isn't like, Hey, I'm going to, this isn't a cheap pop, right? This yeah. is a real thing. And he did a real thing and he got a real response and he tried to do that real thing again, but it wasn't real and it didn't get the response. Yeah. And so like, I, I, I just can't do that. Like I, that's, that's a perfect case study and why that doesn't work. Yeah. You can't um, be that. And he can't be you. Like, that's what yeah. I responded to your article on LinkedIn. I was like, you can try, but you're not going to be Blake, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, whatever, he, you know, I, I, that's the most I'll, I'll say about that. I don't want to drag that guy uh, any more than he probably already feels bad about that stuff. But yeah, I mean, it was just kind of like, and, and like, yeah, I mean, it was, and again, like I, I brought this back to brand marketing, right? So that guy mm. was, was bringing up the fact he's like, Hey man, like I respect what you're doing. I think you're building a really great brand. I have a trademark brand. Um, and like what he has is not a brand. It's not like a series of principles. It's not a universal human truth that he's trying to uncover and, and share with the world. What he has is a product marketing strategy to sell hats and t-shirts and hoodies that have his name. Yep. Yep. And I, I wouldn't say that what I'm doing is a brand because I don't want to describe a person as a brand. You know what I mean? But like what I'm, what I'm trying to bring to the world is that authentic truth that I think is at the base and the core of good brands. Um, and, and what good market, good brand marketing does is it brings that to the light. It doesn't slap a bunch of stuff over top of it. Yes, absolutely. 
Oh, Blake, I could talk to you for hours and have, yeah, I'm um, sorry. but uh, no, not, please don't be sorry. If anything, um, it's my unwillingness to disengage because like, I feel like there's just so much that you have to share with the world. And really what it comes down to is it's probably more than we have time to fit in a single episode, but we can talk about a repeat appearance later. Um, for now though, I do want to make sure that we wrap up our session today with our lightning round. So Skylar facilitates our lightning lightning round. The rules of the lightning round are simple. We're going to ask you a series of questions. Some of them are going to be work-related. Some of them are not going to be. You have 30 seconds to just answer off the cuff and ready to go. <laughs> All right. You ready? Cool. All right. Who is your, the leader that you look up to the most and why? Uh, I chose this woman, Erica Carner, that I worked for at TRX. She was an incredible manager, um, incredibly diplomatic, and uh, really great at bringing people up to her level and uh, also bringing people down to the level that she was at organizationally, really humanizing the workplace. And also it was one of the best uses of a exclamation part, an exclamation point to uh, bring down the volume of an email to make people feel a little bit more human. Uh, she's an incredible manager, Erica Carner. I love exclamation points. Okay. Uh, what's your bucket list vacation destination? Anywhere outside of my house. <laughs> <laughs> the grocery store. I, you're like, I'm there. I have a three-year-old <laughs> and a three-month-old. Anywhere outside of the house. <laughs> uh, could you tell us like the funniest or most awkward moment that you've had in the workplace? I worked at a fitness company for a while, and uh, I am also a fitness enthusiast. And as such, I was brought on for a um, what's called a, a like a, a pre-light or a test shoot for a, a national ad campaign in which I was shirtless, and I was just supposed to be standing in for the model. Uh, they ended up getting the shot with me, and then canceling the shoot the next day, and running my image on a, in a national campaign, shirtless, in the back of uh, massive magazines that you can find in any airport or grocery store. Did you get compensated for that? I like, did not Did you get, get like modeling fees? No, I did not. I, I should have. <laughs> oh my my perspective on work, on, on my work relationship is, is definitely probably changing right now. <laughs> People are like, oh, oh my I get gosh. It. Blake, if you bring the six pack, they've got to bring the change. All right, quick look at your phone. What is the most useful non-work related app that you have on it? Uh, CapCut. Uh, if you're a creator, if you make video content, if you uh, are a social media manager at a company, download CapCut. Stop using Final Cut Pro. Stop using um, you know uh, iMovie, whatever you're using. If you're shooting content for social and you want to just cut down your time dramatically and you're shooting everything on your phone, download CapCut and like just save yourself a whole bunch of hassle um it's not it's not as good as anything else but it's really good at this thing good to know good to know they are not paying me they should <laughs> this is not an ad <laughs> <laughs> all right what's the most important thing that you've done to invest in your mental health I mean, I went to therapy a lot. Um, and that's probably pretty good. I'm not in therapy right now. Uh, I'd like to be. It's just not a <laughs> it's dark. It's not a privilege that our uh, our lifestyle affords right now. Um, but you know, nothing better than paying someone money to 
to sit down and work on yourself. If you can't tell, like that's an important thing for me. And like, if you could if you're sitting down in a chair and paying somebody money, you're going to expose yourself in a way you wouldn't otherwise because you're emotionally or so you're financially invested. <laughs> that, uh, that college spreadsheet is coming back. Exactly. <laughs> All right. What's your biggest pet peeve? I, um, I, I thought about this one for a while. I don't know. Uh, not people who aren't drink finishers. My wife's not a drink finisher. Uh, I was like, Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 it's incredibly endearing to me that my wife does it because I noticed it years ago. And so now I see it and I'm like, Oh, it's so sweet. That's her. But like in general, like somebody who drinks three quarters of a LaCroix, like, come on. You know, and like, because the thing is a consistent behavior, doesn't matter how big the LaCroix is or how big the coffee is, it's always going to be, they're just going to drink three quarters of it. Just be a drink finisher, commit to the bit. (laughs) Um, I, I experienced that in a very personal way, Blake, because, um, so my son who I love, um, we've talked about him a bunch in the past. He has ADHD. And one of the ways that that manifests is like we have a beverage fridge in our kitchen that is just for like bottled water and LaCroix and stuff like that. And so he will take a bottle of water before night, but by like before he goes to bed for the night, but by the end of the week, he will have like an entire Costco palette of 10% finished bottled waters because all he'll do is he'll take a swig before he goes to bed put it down somewhere. And then by the end of like the week, it's like, I'm just gathering up all of these bottles and I'm like, what do I do with this stuff? I guess we'll feed it to the dogs or something, Like, but it's like we have, and he won't, he will not revisit a bottle that has been already open. So it's a, the pain is real, man. Glad it's a nerve. I was like, um, I have like three unfinished drinks on my desk right now, but it's fine. (laughs) Skylar's personally attacked. People are drink finishers or they're not drink finishers. This is very interesting. Okay. Uh, What piece of literature or art has shaped your perspective on life? Probably Get in the Van by Henry Rollins. Uh, It is a tour journal from Henry Rollins, who's the lead singer of a band called Black Flag in the 80s. Um, And it is his journals uh, for... um, his the, the early tours of uh his his band black flag um i mean I, it's it's hard to argue any book has has shaped my life in a more formative way my mom gave it to me for a birthday when i was 16 um and just like this is this it was the the blueprint i was like this is what i'm doing so i have to read it okay and last one what is your mission in life uh yeah i'm a uh telling people stories <laughs> Tell people stories. That's it. Um, uh, we, uh, there, there you go. You know, we connect through stories. We tell you, I, I said it before, you know, the Joan Didion quote, we tell, uh, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. Um, and uh, it's what I'm passionate about. It's what I'm, if I'm, if I've ever been good at anything, I'm kind of good at that. Uh, it's what brings me the most joy. And I think that's what people are here to do. Yeah. That's Absolutely. what lasts, you know? It's so true, man. It's like, you know, the the deliverables we produce at work, no matter how impactful or how big, will be forgotten, you know, next quarter, next year, within five years for sure. But stories are enduring, you know? Um, they stick with you, and you're doing super important work. 
Um, Blake, I'm so happy that, um, that you came on the show, um, with us, like, and that we had the opportunity to, uh, kind of reconnect. Um, my guess is, is that people, uh, will also feel similarly drawn to you and the work that you're doing. And so if that be the case, how can people get a hold of you? Awesome. Yeah. So you can find me at Blake of today, B-L-A-K-E-O-F-T-O-D-A-Y everywhere. Um, that's my social media handle, um, across, the uh, TikTok, Instagram, that is also my Gmail, uh, Blake of today at gmail.com. Um, and uh, it's also uh, my Substack. So if you want to see more of just my writing, you can find me on Substack with it today. Um, yeah. Feel free to connect, reach out. Always taking on new clients. <laughs> you know, we talked about your podcast, um, about, you know, you processing the grief of, of losing your mom. And um, what I didn't do at the time, but I want to do now is give you an opportunity to tell people the name of that podcast so that if they're going through something similar, they can benefit from what you've done there. Oh, for sure. Uh, the podcast is called Good Grief. Um, if you're searching for it, search for Good Grief and my name, Blake Cosmeyer. Um, or just Blake, good, good grief, because um, it's such a good name that there have been many other people who have thought to name the podcast about grief that um, just for those two things, and you should be able to find it. It's on everything um, uh, Spotify, uh, podcasts, Stitcher, everything. That's great. Well, Blake, again, thank you so much for being here on the show. Um, if you're listening today and this is content that you like, um, I know this is a little bit of a departure from our normally scheduled programming, but um, I think really, really relevant given the themes that we talk about. You can send us a note at info at workplacetherapy.net and give us some feedback. Um, or um, if there is anything that you need uh, in terms of consulting or leadership development, coaching services, our team at Unity and Company is happy to help with that. You can reach out to us at info at unityandcompany.com. All right, everybody. Until the next session, we'll see you.